Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, where we dig into one big story. Today is Tuesday, July 6th. U.S. wages are up, oil prices are down, and we're focused on the billionaire space race. This Sunday, Richard Branson is scheduled to blast off on a suborbital test flight for Virgin Galactic, the space tourism company he founded back in 2004. He'll be joined by two pilots and three other mission specialists and will be trying to accomplish two things. First, realize a lifelong dream of traveling to space. Second, getting there before fellow billionaire Jeff Bezos, who's scheduled to fly with his space company, Blue Origin, in two weeks from today. On that flight, the Blue Origin one, Bezos will be joined by other civilians, including the still unknown person who paid $28 million in an auction for the privilege. Why it matters is there's a lot more riding on these rockets than just billionaires. Were anything catastrophic to happen to either flight, there could be enormous consequences for the entire private space industry, and in particular for the concept of space tourism. The FAA currently is not regulating the safety of the participants on these flights, instead just worrying about the people and property on the ground below, but that would probably change in a hurry if something were to happen to ordinary civilians catching a ride, and in particular if one of those civilians is a household name. So today we want to speak with Axios Space Editor Miriam Kramer about what Branson and Bezos are actually doing, how it's different from what Elon Musk and SpaceX are doing, and what these flights mean for the future of space travel. That conversation after the break. And as a quick editorial note, today's program is indeed sponsored by Amazon, which Jeff Bezos was CEO of until yesterday. But sponsorship does not impact editorial content. We're joined now by Miriam Kramer, author of the weekly Axios Space Newsletter. So, Miriam, are Branson and Bezos actually going into space? <laughs> well, thanks for having me, Dan. I like to say that they're going to the edge of space. So Bezos' system, Blue Origin's New Shepard, is designed to get about 100 kilometers up, which is sort of the unofficial designation of where space begins. It's called the Kármán line. Virgin Galactic goes about 80 kilometers up, uh, so close but not quite there. I think most people think it's it's sort of negligible, the difference between 80 and 100. So they're kind of going to space, kind of not, depends on who you ask. But it's different than what is going to happen in terms of space tourism in September, right, when SpaceX blasts off. SpaceX is actually going fully orbital with their rocket. Uh, Falcon 9 is a huge rocket. It can take payloads and people high up out of the atmosphere, get them to, you know, over 17,000 miles per hour, which lets you orbit the Earth. And the Virgin Galactic and Blue Origin, their systems are, are quite a bit smaller, not quite as powerful. Their flights last a matter of minutes, whereas SpaceX can last days, weeks, whatever. One thing that seems to be similar, though, is what the FAA and the U.S. government does and doesn't regulate about these flights. Um, so right now, the FAA is not allowed to regulate for safety of the people who are actually flying with these companies. So spaceflight participants is what they're sort of called in the jargon. They are flying under what's called a regime of informed consent. So basically, the companies that are flying them have to tell them all of the risks. They have to sign documents saying that they understand what they're doing, uh, and then they're allowed to fly. But until 2023, at the earliest, the FAA is not allowed to actually decide what is safe for these systems. That was a decision put in place to allow the companies to sort of get their test programs off the ground before they have, you know, regulators come in and say what they can and cannot do. They basically are trying to prove a market for it. When you say allowed, is that, is that by Congress? Yes. Yeah, it's a congressional mandate. 
Does that mean that, that these companies successfully lobbied Congress to get the FAA to lay off? They did indeed. Yeah. This slip is fascinating. This is like a permission slip I signed for my kid and say they can jump like in a bouncy castle or something. Is, is it that basic? I, you know, I've actually never seen the document. I'm like working on, on getting a look at it right now. But it's like in a, a form that you sign, like saying, I know my risks and I'm willing to do it. A source compared it to jumping out of an airplane. Like that's the kind of thing that you kind of are, are signing away. Does it matter if Branson or Bezos are first? <laughs> I don't know that it matters to anyone else, truthfully. Like, I think it's really interesting that both of these guys are trying to fly in a month. I think that brings a lot of attention to the industry, and that alone could potentially do good things. It definitely raises awareness around what's happening, whether people think fondly on this sort of bizarre race these two have, have found themselves in, I don't know. But I do think the attention being paid to the industry right now is something that that has not been seen, maybe ever, actually, for, for space. If these flights in the SpaceX flight are successful, do you think that's going to prompt other, call them more traditional aerospace companies, maybe even airlines, to try to get into this industry? Maybe. I certainly think it's possible. Uh, I think there was an airline CEO that actually joked about it at one point about, you know. He did to me, actually, United CEO, before we started taping a recent Axios for HBO segment, when he heard that somebody had paid $28 million to get on the Blue Origin flight, it, his eyes kind of lit up a little bit with those cartoon dollar signs. Yeah, see, that's the kind of thing that I think the space industry wants to see. Like, I don't know that anyone believes that suborbital space tourism is going to be this huge cash cow, this money maker in a, a business that, you know, makes billions off of satellite launches. But I do think that it, it is a super high profile public way of getting people interested. This is space travel. This is dangerous. This is, you know, still very new. If something if there's an accident or something catastrophic happens, what's the impact of that on the private space industry? Yeah, I think that the the most truthful answer is right now we don't we don't know. I think most likely what would happen is there would be renewed pushes to actually regulate this industry, which would shift a lot of things for a lot of companies, not just Blue Origin and not just uh, Virgin Galactic, but it would change things for SpaceX and anyone else who you know is halfway hoping to launch people in the coming years. It might affect public opinion. Virgin Galactic is a publicly traded company now, so it would certainly affect their stock price and who knows how they would recover. But the interesting thing is in 2014, Virgin Galactic did have a fatal test flight where a pilot was actually killed because of a crash. And they continued on and are at this point where they're at now and public support for them has remained relatively steady. So I don't want to make a prediction about what public support is going to do, but I, I do think it'll be a pretty volatile time for the industry. Why do you think Elon Musk has not flown and is not flying on any of his flights? I think he has a bigger vision for, for what he would want his flight to be. Like, he has often said that he wants to go to Mars. I don't know that he wants to get on a, a rocket and go around the Earth for a few days, that he could be, you know, working at Tesla or working at SpaceX. I think that he probably sees it as something like Mars would be more worthy of his time than maybe a more space travel tourist-like flight. If you got a call from Virgin Galactic today saying, Miriam, Sunday, we got an empty seat. You want to come? Are you on the flight? I'm not. No. Why not? First of all, I know you have to sign a bunch of NDAs, and I don't really feel comfortable doing that as a journalist. I also cover them, and, you know, there's, there's a lot there. But uh, my main answer is that I have a two-and-a-half-year-old, and, a half year old and uh, I have a lot of self-preservation instincts these days. 
if these flights are successful and, and, and future flights over the next several months or years are successful, how long do you think it's going to be until, call them normal wealthy people, can fly as opposed to the ultra wealthy people? Yeah, I mean, I would give it at least 10 years um, on the conservative side to sort of let them prove out these systems, like get a rate of success going. Like it's not just one successful flight. It's, you know, a history of successful flights that will get more and more people interested. It will bring down the price when more and more people fly. So it all sort of depends on, on how consistently they launch and how well they launch in the coming years to see, you know, when that's possible. Final question for you. When history looks back at this moment, 2021, will it be on par with the kind of government space races of the 1960s? I don't think that if you just look at this small sort of race between Branson and Bezos, that it will be. I don't think it's anywhere near as consequential as, you know, the the race that led to astronauts walking on the moon for the first time. But I think if you look at it in the aggregate, so if you look at just the boom in commercial spaceflight, in private spaceflight, in, in these companies that are taking what was once purely the purview of governments and bringing it on themselves, I think that is wildly influential and will be on par with sort of the revolution that happened with the Soviet Union and U.S. fighting for space supremacy, basically. And it could have longer lasting effects, actually, than the Apollo program did for the U.S. because that ended and we haven't sent people to the moon since 1972. Yeah, I'm very curious to see how history looks back at this moment. <laughs> Miriam Kramer, who writes Axios Space, which you can get at signup.axios.com. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. You can also catch Miriam hosting the next season of Axios's hit podcast, How It Happened, where she'll have the inside story of the first all-civilian mission to space. That's coming soon, so be sure to follow How It Happened on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss it. Welcome back. What we're watching today is fallout from the latest major ransomware attack, tied to the same Russia-connected group that hacked U.S. meat processor JBS. Three things to know. First, this is the largest ransomware attack in history, at least in terms of the actual ransom, with the hackers asking for a whopping $70 million. Two, the target was a Miami-based software company called Kaseya, a so-called middleware provider, which means that by hitting Kaseya, the hackers hit at least 1,500 of Kaseya's corporate customers located all over the world. Three, the co-founder of cybersecurity company CrowdStrike wrote that this is, quote, going to turn out to be the biggest, most destructive ransomware campaign that we've seen so far, end quote. Well, at least until the next one. Also, before wrapping up, we are keeping track of Tropical Storm Elsa, which is expected to hit Florida's West Coast at some point this evening with the possibility it could strengthen into a hurricane. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. It's my producer, Sabina Sangani. Justin Kaufman, and Alex Sugiara. Please be sure to leave us a review. And if you're not already subscribed to or following the podcast, do so. Have a great national fried chicken day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recaps.